Hey everybody, welcome to Heterodox Americana. This is a show about thinking outside the box and examining the conventional wisdom that informs how we think and shapes how we see the world around us. The question that we're ultimately trying to get at here is, how do our unexamined ideas impact our ability to thrive as human beings? And it's our intention to unpack some of these ideas, take a fresh heterodox perspective that hopefully leads us somewhere new. My name is Raphael Freeman, and I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Angie Backus, another one of your hosts. We're back. We missed a week. Um, this quarantine has kind of thrown off, I think, a lot of people's schedules. Um, week got away from us, which I think it's sometimes just letting a new normal or um, something different in is, is okay. Um, in the midst of all this, we've been talking a little bit about how things have been working. Certainly, I think the whole COVID crisis is on everyone's mind. Um, and what Still, if, you think? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that's that's pretty high up there, <laughs> what people are, are concentrating on these days. Um, but we were talking not too long ago, I guess this week, about what um, what's happening with these states that get to decide um, how to let up restrictions. You know, I guess Georgia now has opened a lot of businesses and other states, primarily in the South, it seems, are following suit. Is that right? They're mostly in the South? Yeah, it looks like it's um, Oklahoma, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas. Those are the states yeah. that have lifted some of their measures. You know, we were talking about, um, last week you and I were talking about how difficult this is with um, the state, some lifting and some staying. And you were, um, you started to talk about this um, in place because of this original idea for the states that um, this all started to happen because of um, slavery laws. Um, and how that's kind of been this ripple effect for what we're even dealing with today. States didn't have all this independence because of the ways that they landed on right. slavery, that maybe we would be more united. So there's only really one um, one clause that gets mentioned uh, in, in the Constitution about slavery, and it's, um, it's in Article 4. I want to say it's Clause 3. Uh, it's commonly called the uh, Fugitive Slave Clause. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's this idea that if, uh, if a slave escapes, uh, that, you know, the, the right for that slave to be captured and sent back to wherever they came from, that that is protected by, uh, by the Constitution. But um, and even though that's the only thing that's kind of mentioned by, you know, explicitly um, in the Constitution, I think you can tell that there's a nervousness um, there's a nervousness in the energy of, of the Constitutional Congress uh, about slavery. There is an energy that is, uh, it kind of pervades, you know, how to talk about, one, one, how to talk about slaves as property, but also how to talk about um, slavery as an institution, um, because really there are parts of the country that are really, really uncomfortable with it. Um, and not just morally uncomfortable with it, you know, I... I Making the, 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 the moral argument um, is hard in, in the 1700s uh, as to whether or not, you know, the objections were, were moral. 
the more arguments they seem like uh, they're easier to make uh, the closer we get to the Civil War. But there's certainly a sense of lots of people who are, um, even if they are morally uncomfortable with it, they're unwilling to do anything about it. Uh, but there are all these property and representation in Congress. There are all these um, these issues around representation, mm-hmm. how slaves get represented um, in terms of the population and how much uh, you know how much representation slaveholding states get in Congress. And this is this this kind of nervousness, um, just energy around how to count slaves. Um, I think is pervasive through, even though it's not super explicit throughout most of the constitution it that that energy is there and uh, even the same article four it is the article that kind of outlines uh states rights and their relationship to to the federal government so having these different laws um or having states have their own laws kind of gave people the state more of the security of we know what we want to do with slaves or we get to decide, right? I, I think that was part of it. You know, I mean, you know, I think independence from the king was certainly a part of it and not having too powerful of, you know, a, a federal government. Um, I think that was, that, that, that's part of it too. I'd be irresponsible if, if we didn't acknowledge the fact that they had just revolted against uh, a king but one of the things that you see very early on in the individual constitutions of the states is uh, so even if it's only barely explicitly mentioned in the, the federal constitution, you start to see the, the language around slavery or Negroes or, uh, or free white people that pops up in, in the state constitutions um, explicitly far more often. So, you know, even in Virginia's first, you know, Virginia's first con. Uh, their first constitution is uh, 1776, mm-hmm. which is older than the U.S. Constitution, 1789. Uh, so even then, Virginia was talking about uh, the relationship between Great Britain and the crown wanting uh, whatever laws of the land to also apply to black people. Uh, that black people should not, or slaves or black people, should not be excluded from the laws of the land. That was Britain's position. Um and, you know, part of why Virginia was willing to secede, to revolt against right. Great Britain, was in fact because, you know, Virginia wanted their laws not to apply to black people. Right. Uh, they wanted their, you know, to exclude black people from the rule of law. Um, and they were willing to revolt against the king. For, I mean, you know, all of the states, colonies, I guess, uh, you know, eventually agreed for their own reasons. Um but to talk about that 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 energy that had surrounded the Constitution, uh, and you see, you know, there there's also explicit talk in like um, about Negroes or blacks or slaves or free white people. Uh, you see that in the constitutions of South Carolina. You see it in uh, Virginia. Um, you see it in Georgia. Alabama comes a little bit later, but it's explicit there. Uh, and and so you, it, it's hard to get away from. Um, how much that that kind of thinking was important to the independence of both the, the representation and the independence of these early states, whereas you don't see that same type of language in, let's say, the constitution of like Pennsylvania or New Jersey, hmm. or they're, they're just not concerned about it in that way. And, and I think, what were you going to say? Well, I was just considering, you know, what you had mentioned um, 
you know, states getting to have some freedom in the way that they govern um, keeps um, at bay this tyrannical kind of, uh, I guess, uh, way of leading if, if someone, you know, if, if the federal government is in charge of every state. I mean, there, there are these like really quirky laws and that I was looking up the other day that are, um, you know, just bizarre. Like, I guess in California, um, you can't eat a frog that won a frog contest. You have to let that frog go. It's against the law to eat the frog. Huh. Yeah. Alabama, you can't have plastic confetti. It's against the law. That that seems like a good law, actually. It does. So, you know, I'm just, that's kind of some, like, more relief for the seriousness of this. But, you know, if you don't have some sense of independence around laws, um, then the federal government gets to decide, you know, in all of this minutia. Not that it matters if you eat a frog. But, right. um, but you had mentioned... Uh, a while ago, you had talked about kind of building something from the the base of original sin, you know, something that kind of gets going in terms of a fissure that then continues to extend out uh, that that we still kind of work with today. The idea of original sin is kind of what we always come back to to say, oh, this is where things went a little wonky, right. and we're still suffering from whatever happened um, in the beginning. And this is kind of, I think, what might be occurring with, um, you know, this freedom in these states around slavery. That being, you know, the freedom wasn't that, you know, they wanted to have the freedom to decide whether you could eat the frog. Right. The freedom was around they wanted to decide whether or not they get to keep people captive. I think that's exactly right. Um, yeah. You know, this idea of looking at the original sin of, of the United States... Uh, for me, that, that that particular language got on my radar because I was listening to, um, there's an economist, Paul Krugman, uh, I forget where he's a professor, uh, but he won a Nobel Prize, he's a smart guy, um, he's a humble guy too, he's kind of like a cool little personality or whatever, um, but, uh, you know, the, 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 he, he used that term in terms of, uh, he was talking about the inequality and all the things that sort of happen along the way. And there are lots of things that happen along the way from like, you know, 1789, 1776, if you like, uh, till really, I don't know, uh, right now, uh, (laughs) that you can kind of all trace back this, Mm -hmm. this original sin to, uh, not just slavery, but also the way the states kind of maneuver, um, in order to protect that. So, yeah, I, I, let me let me slow down a little bit. I'm not sure if um, if people even know why I'm talking about slavery right now. So let let me make this part explicit. Yeah. Um, I I think in order to protect both the institution, protect uh, representation, right, and to protect property, right, um, the slaveholding states in the United States. Uh, were very clear about their independence, right. and it, I think it gave rise to a culture of the federal government can't tell me what to do. That's right. right? That's right. Um, and th- this gets reinforced a little bit later. Um, I think somewhere around the New Deal, um, but but the the seeds of this idea of of you can't tell me what to do, and that being a culture, and, and you can see, I mean, you can see it. Uh, all throughout, I mean, West Virginia and Virginia, they split because uh, of this 
of this thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and we fought a civil war over it, right? That's you can't right. tell me what to do. That's right. Uh, Texas you, wanted to, you know, right, over, exit. You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. um, and and in even, you know, even after the civil war, during Reconstruction, uh, lots of southern states passed all of these black codes so they could get around the federal right. government right. telling them what to do. So let's say... You know, with the 14th Amendment, you have the ability of blacks to vote, but then you have all these southern states who write into their constitutions that you need to um, you need to be able to read in order to register. Or they find these other ways to kind That's of right. limit the, the yeah. right, exactly limit the freedoms um, of people who are just freed, um, but also to kind of you know contradict what the federal government is doing. Mm -hmm. um, now, so. You know, I mean, you can look at it just in terms of like a, a fluke in the way the United States developed. Um, but I don't think it's a fluke because there are other places that we can look in the world um, that are similar ideologically. They're mm -hmm. informed by the same kind of philosophical late enlightenment basis, right? There are a few places that you can point to um, philosophically that informs the way the modern European, you know, in the U.S. being an extension of Europe, um, you know, uh, how those ideas came to be that, that formed the, the modern state. Yeah, I think it's really important to establish um, why that this is, as you said, even a topic. Right. Um, and, you know, those, like I said, those little anecdotal, you know, laws, um, that being they're kind of comical, um, that's not why we need to have, that's that's not the basis for why states get to, for to govern. For um, and it gets to be pretty tricky. Now, the other day I was mentioning to you, um, it made me nervous that the president couldn't just look at the um, American people and say, there is, we'll be sheltering in place until we lift this. Right. And, and I said, you know, it makes it so dangerous because we're all now affecting each other. You know, Georgia opens up and it's going to affect, you know, more than Georgia. Um, and it felt so insecure to not have some sense that we can't just do this united as a, as a group. And that's when, you know, you started talking about kind of this foundation of this original sin. We kind of, this got disrupted a long time ago. And it is, and it can be very dangerous for us. Yeah, I've, yeah. I mean, so we, we, we clearly got to see that in the case of Katrina, where, you know, the federal government response was slow and inadequate right. and the state response was slow and inadequate but it seemed like the federal government got its stuff together a little bit more quickly than uh than the state of louisiana did but then you have all this conflict about who can come in and what national guard right. and who can do what um and there's a real impediment to the help that louisiana needed because of this conflict between uh the state the state you know powers and the federal powers. Um, and in times of crisis, it's not, it's really not the time to be having that kind of conflict, but we, you know, it's intractable in the United States. It's, we can't get around it. Right. And in your opinion, I mean, I know, you know, and I am actually asking for opinion. There's no way you can, you know, say this for sure, have certainty. Do you think that, um, we were, were kind of working in the operation of these states getting to govern, um, independently because it was so important for the slave 
um, holding states and the non-slave holding states, this is kind of where it got going. It wouldn't have been such a thing. Yeah, so some of the language makes it, I mean, almost explicitly clear uh, that they didn't want um, that they didn't want the federal government to either stop the the, the Atlantic slave trade, right? Uh, and there are a few constitutions that you know, state constitutions right. that says, you know, um, we don't sign on to this if the federal government gets in uh, involved in that. Um, and in a lot of the state constitutions, the language really is around protecting the institution of slavery hmm. um, and wanting the federal government to essentially mind its business. Uh, but as, there wasn't anything else that was all big like that that they were saying we want something different than what we're being told, right? I mean, well, there I mean, wasn't... There, there was the king, right. you know. There, there was that history, um, but you know, ultimately, the, the way I just mean in terms of law, like a law that you know, like I said, you know, nobody was saying you can't eat the frog at the frog jumping contest. Oh, you mean in terms of the things that they were doing? Yeah. I mean, there were that a few issues around like taxes, you know, representation, representation was still an issue. Um, you know, I, I think it was an amalgam of things. I don't think it was just, um, I, I don't think it was just slavery, but I think slavery probably more than anything else does absolutely explain the type of nervousness um, that the states had around protecting that, I mean, that was the only reason I wanted to, you know, kind of compare Europe because we do have federated states in Europe, uh, and we have federations. <clears throat> France is somewhat of, I mean, you know, France. Each department in France has its own authority. Uh, there are regions in Spain that have some regional authority, um, some autonomous regions in, in Spain, uh, even uh, that have a, a great deal of of, uh, of authority. Um, Bavaria is called the Free State of Bavaria in mm -hmm. southern Germany, mm -hmm. um, and they have a good amount of authority. But you don't see the kind of resistance, and you don't see the kind of interplay between. Uh, you don't see the kind of federal resistance that you get from uh, from what you you have here in the United States. That's unique here, and I think that is. Um, I, I think that is a result of a culture um, that sprung up around protecting the institution i think mm. that culture and it, it kind of maps out perfectly you know even if you look at the way politics are now the states that are like you won't tell us what to do right are, are those exact same states yeah it's interesting um and now we we have a crisis that we we can't penetrate um whether it's you know the games between whether you get protective gear or who's going to open first or, Who has yeah. many this many tests, and where do you get them? And that's your responsibility. Yeah, right. It, it's the worst possible version of the chickens coming home to roost. But right. you know, and I think right. in a very real way, that's what it is. That's right. That's important. I think you know it. You know, oftentimes, and I, I've mentioned this before. You know, this psychological pro process of generational, we'll call it sin. Things that get passed on, um, you know, it happens in family systems. I think it happens in government. You know, what has gotten passed on um, generations to now right. is exactly what you said. The chickens are coming home to roost. We haven't looked at this. We haven't been able to, as you said, reverse it. So now we're left with all of this insecurity and really very little power in trying to do this as a united front. Yeah, it's it, it's the type of it's the type of sin that self perpetuates too. Um, 
So, you know, we were talking about Louisiana a couple of minutes ago. Uh, but if you look at, let's say, the relationship between big, big, I don't know what to call it, like big oil and big... Uh, corporate? Yeah, corporate, but like chem- like chemical companies. Oh, okay. If you look at the relationship between chemical companies and big oil and the type of toxic waste that, you know, I mean, there are EPA standards that are, that are in place, but the way that the state government allows um you know certain industries to operate and really decimate the, the ecology um in places like mm-hmm. louisiana it, it's because you know the federal government only has so much power to prevent it right. and if you have a let's say a place like massachusetts or vermont if you have a, a state government that will support what the federal government is going to do then you'll have the ecology you know protected But in a place like Louisiana or lots of places around the Gulf, if the state decides to relax things because jobs are important and jobs are important, um, then what you have is these gross abuses of companies like British Petroleum in the Gulf and Pittsburgh Plate Glass. I'm not sure if they're still a company anymore, at least under that name. Um, But the amount of toxic waste that, you know, these these companies are allowed to do um, because of state provisions is um it's unconscionable but but mm. it also then undermines louisiana's ability to like move move ahead and so the conditions for let's say having a better quality of life those conditions are undermined by the fact that the ecology has been destroyed right. um and in a very real way it just perpetuates this uh this relationship between um the kind of independence and you can't tell us what to do uh one's ability to you know, have a better station in life, um, you know, seek better education. All these things, like, they, they, they become affected by one another. Uh, and it feels like it's a downward spiral in those places that don't want federal protection. Even if they think that, you know, the government is the worst thing, if that's a belief. At the same time, so I'm talking about Louisiana specific, mm-hmm. these bayou kind of Mississippi, uh, Mississippi uh, Delta areas. If people, like, their whole families are dying from cancer. Right. And they're like, well, we don't want federal government help. And I was like, well, I get it, right? right? right, right. Uh, but not really. <laughs> I don't really get it. Well, I think that's why it is so tricky because I, I'm considering, you know, something like this, like this crisis, um, what it would be like if we were all doing this together and feeling the security of knowing we're all on the same page. Right. We feel so insecure that we aren't. Um, at the same time, um, what would it be like if the federal government could regulate everything and states didn't have um, opportunities to have their own say in, in how they regulate themselves? Um, one thing that I understand, though, you're saying is that the, the process of what's happened because of the, it being, the conception being in slavery is this insecurity around it. There's a kind of nervousness or more even a dominance. Like you don't get to tell me what to do. Right. Yeah. No, I just think it's that it's that at the, at the idea level, you know, once this idea got implanted that the federal government is the, is the devil, right. Or the federal government is the enemy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously this is certainly holds true. um, You know, when the, the confederated States um, that decided that they wanted to secede, um, but once the idea that the federal government is is the enemy, mm. that idea gets uh, you know it, it gets 
let's say, populated at, at the cultural level too. Right. And people in their families, in their homes, as they're talking to their cousins, as they're talking to their neighbors, uh, part of that, that parlance is that the federal government is the enemy. Mm-hmm. Like that's a belief system now. Yeah. Well, I was, I just saw something on um, somebody's Facebook page. It, it was, it said, if, it said if all the masks had uh, make America great again, Trump for re-election, maybe people would stop wearing them. So, you know, kind of the division between, you know, it's all the Wait, liberals. Say, say that again? So if all the face masks that right. people are wearing now, if it said um, make America great again, Trump for re-election, that maybe people would stop wearing them. Um, that being that, you know, if... The people, the people that are wearing them are high, uh, probably not Trump supporters, basically, is what this was. Oh, asserted. right. Gotcha. Right. Um, so even that, that type of division, you know, that being, you know, kind of stemming from you don't get to tell me what to do. The federal government doesn't get to tell me what to do to wear the face masks or the division around. I get to choose, not you. Yeah, that that to me sounds like <laughs> I take your point. I, I just want to address that. I think whoever wrote that grossly uh, underestimates uh, people's desire to not get that. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. I mean, I, that even goes without saying right. it. I mean, it was so ludicrous. I'm not saying and this was just right. was such an. I mean, when I read it, I was like, wow, because I read it twice too. Because I was like, oh, I see what they're saying. They're saying if this is on a mask. Then all the mask wearing people aren't yeah, going to be. They have we grossly have underestimated. Yeah. Like if every mask said "Make America Great Again," Trump for re-election, every liberal that I know would be like, "Oh well, like you know." <laughs> I guess I'll turn this I, inside I, out. I'm wearing this mask somehow or another. <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, you know, for me, the, the most honest way to to do it, and you know, I believe me, I know that the United States hates to be compared to other countries. Um, but in some ways, I think in order to get the fairest picture, uh, I have to look at the United States in, um, you know, with comparison to, to other people who are in the same political landscape. Uh, the other same political landscape, uh, by that I mean, essentially Western Europe right. and Canada. Okay. Um, and you just don't have this problem around the virus, around crisis in general. Um, you don't have this type of you're not going to tell me what to do uh, at this level of resistance. Right. You just don't see it in, in any of the United States' uh, direct political peers. Yeah. I mean, you know, not to belittle it, but I think, again, going back to it's this original sin. It's this um, psychology of, you know, what people are holding on to and have been passed down to believe that, you know, this is our freedom, is that you don't get to tell me what to do. Right. And I, you know, I, you know, I, I think a lot about how how do you get past that, and I have no like I'm not sure, I have no idea. I mean, is it something that you could? I mean, you would have to change people's beliefs, right? But you know, the people who would want those types, I, I don't know. Maybe it takes a crisis of a greater magnitude than this, which is it's crazy, right? Because I think I was starting to consider when this first started to happen, you know. Um, I was thinking, I wonder what this is going to do. It's either going to bring us all together or we're going to have even more sharper division. I I think it's yet to be seen. I think we're now getting into this part of of what's happening that it's starting to divide, you know, like Georgia, what they're doing. 
Um, people are tired of quarantine. Um, not that we haven't been for a while, but I think we're at this place now where people are starting to, you know, do the protests. And now the division is starting. Um, and, you know, my hope was that maybe like a crisis like this, you know, when, when something usually happens in somebody's life um, that's very painful on an individual level, they either uh, pivot, you know, they learn and, and kind of transition into something better, deeper, mm. um, more aware, or they sink deeper into the pain and the depression. Mm. And I'm wondering if, if that's kind of, you know, on this more macro level, what's going to happen? Are we going to pivot? Or are we going to sink deeper into more of the division and strife? Yeah, I gotta, I gotta think that each group is gonna double down. Um, but each group, I mean, like you know, the, the kind of, uh, I mean, whatever. Like we're a country of two of two nations, right? right. It's very clearly we've seen in so many elections that, um, that people who vote Democrat and people who vote Republican, are, are the numbers are, you know, not that different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's essentially like the country is divided in half. Um, but, you know, I, I have to imagine people are going to double down. Um, you know, we've talked on the show before about Jonathan Haidt and how people kind of construct uh, their model of the world around um, around conservative thought or around liberal thought. And one of the things that he noted was that in, in times of, like, great threat, mm-hmm. that people who, that you can get people who are more liberally minded uh, to become more conservative in their thinking. Ah, that makes sense. Um, and so, like, September 11th was actually a really good mm-hmm. example of this. Like, the Patriot Act probably would not have mm-hmm. uh, gotten passed if it were something like the yeah. coronavirus. Right. But because people felt like there was an imminent outside threat, um, lots of, of liberals shifted to mm-hmm. a more conservative stance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like they can reproduce this... Um, this effect and observe this effect over and over and over again. So it seems like it, there's some science behind it. Uh, in order to shift people who are conservatively minded to a more liberal stance, uh, one of the things that uh, is necessary is mere exposure. Um, so mere exposure to, um, to uh, it has to do with openness to, uh, openness to experience. Okay. So mere exposure to different new types of diverse experiences is enough to shift them in a particular direction. Mm-hmm. I mean, over time. That makes sense, yeah. Um, but how do you do that? You know? And, again, I'm not saying that this is this is the answer to get conservatives to, to shift um, to a more liberal stance. Um, I don't know, because we're, we're all dying. So I well, have cert- no clue. Certainly in this moment. <laughs> yeah. What we need is... Um, what we need is, is less resistance to help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, less resistance to help. Wow, I wish we're, I wish we could just wear that on a cap and call it a day. Right, listen, maybe I'll maybe I'll make a shirt. Uh, that'd be funny. Anyway, I, I think we're out of time for this. Yeah, we are. Yeah, I think uh, we need to sign off and uh, yeah, let's just all keep helping each other. Maybe you know we can do something great. I don't know. We'll pivot. Now I'm just saying words. Let's <laughs> let's go. We'll see you guys in a week. Bye.